Hello, and welcome to Locked On Canadians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Every day, Monday to Friday, we bring you a snack-sized podcast about your favorite team, such as today, where we'll be recapping the last game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm Laura Saba, and I am joined by my co-host, who still does not have a nickname. So we have an official snack for the podcast. We do not have an official intro song yet. And we still do not have an official nickname for my esteemed co-host, Scott Matla. Scott, how are you doing? Esteemed is giving me far too much credit, I think, considering I make low-budget memes and GIFs on Twitter. But I am very appreciative of that fact. I'm good, however, though. And, I mean, a little frustrated after the game, but doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Like you said, the game was a little bit frustrating. There were some positive points, and we're going to dive right into that as soon as I tell you guys where to find us. So if you want to listen to our podcast, please subscribe so that we'll be automatically downloaded to whatever device you want to listen to us on. You can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to tweet at us, we're at LO underscore Canadians. We got some good tweets tonight. And we'll be sharing them with you over the course of the episode. And we're really fortunate that you guys are interacting with us. And we appreciate that. And if you want to email us, if you want to rant about the Habs in more than 280 characters, you can do so at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. We encourage you to get in touch with us. And we're really, really happy about the response that you guys have been giving us. So let's get into that game. I have come to the conclusion... And Scott, I don't know if you'll agree with me that what the Habs need to do is never play in the defensive zone, never play in the neutral zone, and only play in the opponent zone. Yes. A hundred percent yes. Or if they're going to play in their zone, make sure they're not playing the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Buffalo Sabres or the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm starting to notice a problem here in that that's all teams in their division, and that might be an issue going forward, I think. Agreed. There were a few issues during tonight's game, namely that the Canadians gave up three goals in two minutes and eight seconds to the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I figured we could start with that and then go into some other details. I think that was the biggest, that was obviously the turning point of the game. That's where they lost the game. The rest of the game in comparison seems just like filler. Yeah, it's obviously Montreal got the first goal. That was great. And then at the end of the period, I'm watching this shift where they can't get the puck out of the zone. And they're just kind of weakly trying to backhand lift it out of the zone to try and get a change. And you could almost, you ever have one of those crystallizing moments where you're like, this is going to end up in the back of their net or with a power play against. And it almost ended up with both. Jonathan Drouin was forced to hook a player, but... Before they could even get to the penalty kill, Braden Coburn was left all alone in the slot and wired a shot past Carey Price that he was given all day to shoot. And it kind of put a damper on what was a very strong, almost 16, 17 minutes there. And then at the last part of the first period, they just couldn't get it together. And then Brett Kulak had what I think was a soft penalty call. And then Steven Stamkos did Steven Stamkos things. And then just some... Poor coverage by Montreal led the puck being in the net for a third time twice in under a minute to start the second period, and that was basically it for the game. They had to dig themselves out of a hole against a team that generally doesn't let people dig themselves out of a hole. And they did try. It was a valiant effort for almost two periods, but there were some things that weren't connecting. There were 
quite a few issues, even in the offense. Like they spent a lot of time in the offensive zone. It was very encouraging to see, especially based on, you know, the last few performances they had, St. Louis notwithstanding. But at the end of the day, some things were not connecting. And I think maybe today in our game recap, we'll discuss things that weren't connecting and possibly what the Habs can do moving forward. I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, it's there were a few things that seemed to work very well in that uh, Brett Kulak and Jeff Petrie mentioned it last episode that they played very well against St. Louis. They played really well against Tampa Bay again because both of them are mobile, but Kulak has a defensive responsibility that kind of frees Petrie up to be the more offensive option and carrying the puck out of the zone. And it's nice to have that pairing. And then what that does even more is Ben Chirac got bumped down to the third pairing, and we'll touch on this later on in the show too, but they were strong as well. And it seems like most of the defensive pairings are clicking in place, and Brendan Gallagher's line is generating shots and getting chances. And even, you know, other players like Artur Lekkinen are playing very well, but the luck just doesn't seem to be there quite yet, even if good things are happening. So it's a matter of, do you just kind of wait it out and take, it's Tampa Bay, they scored on a few mistakes, in other games, does this end up with goals for us and, you know, kind of keep that faith and trust the process? I think that's a really big question. And I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said it's Tampa Bay. I mean, it is one of the league's most lethal offenses. And and to be frank, I was a little bit surprised by their defense tonight. I thought they're giving Montreal a little bit too much space, maybe a lot too much space and a lot of time. But at the end of the day, like that's a team you mentioned in our game preview. You cannot make a mistake against that team. You cannot go down on the penalty kill against that team. And the Habs did both, and it ended up costing them the entire game. Yeah, and that's the concerning thing is it's like, why can't Montreal do what these teams are doing? I I understand it is that Steven Stamkos is an elite sniper, and, you know, having someone like Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point are big things. But, like, they got scored on by Tyler Johnson and Braden Coburn as well tonight. And some of that comes just from needing to smooth out their mistakes right there because it's just like the game against Toronto where Montreal dominated the overall play, but every time they made a mistake, it ended up in their net. And that's something they got to try and minimize going forward because unlike the Torontos and the Tampa Bays or even Edmonton with like McDavid, you make a mistake and they can put it in your net. Montreal doesn't quite have that elite game-breaking talent right now. And I know we've touched on it a few times, but until they do, they got to try and smooth out some of these things. Penalties are going to happen, but maybe now it's time they start avoiding the non-penalty-related mistakes, poor passes or lazy passes out of their own end. Yes, they need to be a lot more disciplined and, I guess, more Drouin-like. I I know he did make a a mistake. (laughs) When I say a mistake, he did hook somebody very early on. But, you know, I think everybody needs to take a page out of his book, and I'm very surprised to be saying this after six games, but I really do think that they need to draw on whatever well he did and and just get it together. I think get it together is the name of the game. Wondering what to do on your next night out? Let the Vivid Seats app help you decide and get there. Whether you want to go watch your favorite artist live in concert or maybe attend a sporting event or even the theater, The Vivid Seats app will help you find seats in the row or section of your choosing. All you have to do is go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. What that means is for every purchase you make for a live event, you earn credit towards your next live event. 
Every ticket purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code POSTSEASON at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. So I guess the other question, after asking ourselves why Tampa scored three goals in two minutes and eight seconds, is how did Montreal score no goals in almost 45 minutes? Quite frankly, the power play... Actually, I'm going to stop myself there. Half of the power play doesn't function. The other half of it is doing exactly what it's intended to do to generate shots. The Canadians' top power play unit right now is not working. The one that has Philip Deneau, Jordan Wheel, Brendan Gallagher, Jonathan Drouin, and Shea Weber is not doing what it needs to. And the second power play unit that has Max Domi, Thomas Tatar, Jeff Petrie, Yoel Armia on it is. And they're... The biggest thing that they're doing is the top unit is feeding everything through Shea Weber or trying to, and it's not packed with movement, whereas the second one, Petrie can move the puck with ease, and it forces the defenses to react. And it seemed like they made the adjustment as the game went off that Petrie was the more, that unit was the bigger option going forward for them, but it seems like it's a swap that needs to happen right at the start of next game, regardless of what's going on. And... Just the lack of dynamic dynamicism, if that's even a word, on the first Dynamism? power play unit is there. Sure, I'm. I I will <laughs> trust you on that. But that's the biggest thing is that that first unit is they get a few decent looks, but then Weber rips one that goes around the boards and out of the zone, and it kills any of the momentum they might have had. They can't spend thirty seconds trying to set up one shot when they need to be just piling shots on while they have the extra attacker. Right, exactly. And it should be pointed out that the so-called, the quote-unquote second power play unit, the Max Domi unit or the Jeff Petrie unit, is the only one that scored any goals through six games. They've scored, I think, five now, and that's pretty much it. Nobody else has scored. So I think that 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 you know that whole first unit, first of all, needs to be, as you said. Maybe they need to rethink who goes first and how long they spend on the power play. And they also need to figure out what's going on there. And I think, you know, you hit the nail right on the head with the mobility factor. And I think the biggest thing is Shea Weber is supposed to be a power play weapon. He has no power play points this year. He has two assists all year. Neither of them are on the power play. If he's not, I understand that he's not always going to be just a power play scorer. He has obviously a game-breaking shot that he can use at any, you know, strength. But if he's not getting it on net or he's using it to help, you know, open up lanes for a pass or something else otherwise, he isn't being utilized effectively. And I think either there's something up with his game right now, and I don't know if he's just having an off start and a slow start to the season or what, but it's a little bit concerning if you're Montreal that a guy who is supposed to be coming in brand new and healthy hasn't quite clicked into play yet, and they need him to because he's a pillar on that defense. Without him... They're going to have to trust someone like Christian Foline or Kale Fleury to play a lot more minutes if he's going to be out or isn't going to be as effective and they need someone else to step into those minutes. Right, and it was very obvious this game. I mean, the Shea Weber-Victor Maytay pairing is supposed to be the one that plays the most minutes. It's the one that you're supposed to be relying on. It's the quote-unquote top pair. But I don't think we would consider them that anymore because you, like, they're not doing what you would need your top pair to do. It's not just that they're not, they're the ones that the teams are scoring against. They're the ones that you ideally would throw out against other people's best offensive weapons. 
they're the kinds of guys that you also want to generate a transition back up the ice. And they're not doing that. They had a really bad game tonight. Yeah, it's Mete is doing things. And the thing is, he can make plays happen with his skating and his ability to get deep into the zone and carry the puck out because he's quick. Shea Weber doesn't have that same thing. He defers to Mete on things and then tries to get in the zone. And the modern NHL is obviously getting faster and faster. So Shea Weber is going to have to do what Zidane Ochara and many other older defensemen have started doing is they have to win plays with their positioning. And with that, maybe Claude Julian and his defensive coach need to look into maybe we start playing Petrie and Kulak a little bit more on the harder matchups and free up Mete and Weber for secondary shifts or mainly offensive zone starts to try and get them going offensively there. But they got to do something. You can't have that much offensive talent and not have it generating anything, especially if it isn't even looking nearly as close as it could. Right. And since since we're discussing the defense, we got a really interesting question earlier today after we released episode 12, where we previewed the game. And it was one of our loyal listeners, Kevin Rogers, who asked about who should be the third pairing at this point. I will read that now. So do you guys think Sherratt and Flurry would make a better third pair Foline with Sherrod seems like an odd pair with little offensive upside. We'll see better after tonight, I guess. And so he did send that this morning. And originally, I kind of looked at that and went, Christian Foline and Ben Sherrod are very much a similar player. They are off the glass, one pass, deferring the carrying. And honestly, and I was shocked by this, Foline and Sherrod were actually the best possession defenders at even strength for the Canadians tonight. So I guess we did see after the game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do understand the logic behind it, however, in that Flurry is a puck-moving person and Sherratt and Foline are both, you know, more defensive types. So I understand the logic behind it. But for whatever reason, with Sherratt playing a little bit easier minutes, he seemed to have adjusted after a rough start to the season. And it's a bit tough to swallow, you know, $3.5 million. But at the same time... If he's playing well, he's playing well. And if Jeff Petrie and Brett Kulak are playing well, they're playing well. I have no complaints about two-thirds of the pairings right now. It's just a matter of, you know, figuring out what are they going to do with a top pair. But maybe Kale Fleury comes in for a game or two just to spell Foleen if they have, if they want something a little bit more dynamic. And with, like, the Minnesota Wild coming up, it's a perfect game against an opponent that isn't as threatening as the Lightning or like the Leafs or anyone else are to maybe give Flurry a chance to prove himself and gain back some of that confidence he might be missing after being scratched for a couple of games. Right. I agree. And Claude Julien is notorious for shuffling his lines up and down um, normally up front. Maybe it's time to do a little bit of shuffling up and down <laughs> in the defensive end as well. Absolutely. And the thing is, though, how do you shuffle around Shea Weber, who is the captain and the pillar of the defense before this without making, without destabilizing the other pairings. And that's what I think they need to figure out is what exactly can they do with Weber if the other two pairings are working extremely well right now? Maybe he just needs, I don't want to say the words change of scenery because that implies he needs to be traded out of here. And that's not what I'm implying at all. But like you said a little bit earlier, maybe they shift his assignments a little bit, maybe get him back on track. Maybe he's just struggling psychologically or there's some nagging injury or something like that. So, you know, I mean, he is he is one of the older players on the team, but that doesn't mean he has no talent left or anything like that. I think it's just 
maybe just changing his assignment a little bit might either light a fire or get him some energy that he needs. I don't know. I think I think it's definitely something that I feel very lucky not to have to figure out. Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine being the guy going, Shay, we're reducing your minutes. Like, that's not a job I would ever want in this world. Which is why we're lucky we get to talk about it on a podcast and, <laughs> and not to his face. <laughs> so another area that the Habs really do need to improve on, and again, it's only game six. We're not panicking at all. We're just saying there's some adjustments that need to be made over the course of the long season. Is on the penalty kill. We we identified early on that the special teams were going to be an issue on this team, and they currently are proving to be an issue. But it's not a hopeless problem. I think they just need to rethink it a little bit. Yeah, it's Montreal's penalty kill this year has given up a goal in every single game they've played. And it's and sure they might kill all the other ones in the game, but sometimes they don't. And that's an issue going forward is that every time you take a penalty, you cannot give up a goal. You'll never win enough games in the NHL like that. And part of it comes from Shea Weber being the, you know, leader in that unit. And again, looking just a little bit worse for wear. But by the end of the night, in all situations, Jeff Petrie had started to supplant him in that category. Petrie played five more total minutes than Weber did tonight. And I think that kind of signals that the Canadians know something's wrong. But they're going to have to dial in what needs to be fixed on the penalty kill, whether it's just shifting a little bit more and not being so stationary or what, but something there has to change because one or two games you can brush it off, but after six with a goal against in a row, it becomes kind of an issue, I think. They just need to figure out what they need to tweak. Like you said, you're not going to win a lot of games if you keep giving up goals on the penalty kill. And it's not its not necessarily just that the Canadians don't have the personnel. It might be just how they're using it. And I think it's really interesting, like you're saying, the Canadians have sensed that there's something wrong. And also, like, let's point out that Jeff Petrie is having a really great start to the year, specifically. So it makes sense that he's being relied on more. Yeah, and that's exactly it. I guess you can roll with the hot hand while you sort it out. But the issue is... If it doesn't sort itself out and the hot hand goes cold, then what do you do? Montreal needs to figure out what their plan B is now going forward. And they, the coaching staff seems to be willing to adjust on the fly. And I think that's a good thing, but they need to adjust on the fly or just in practice in the right way. Because if plan A, B, and C doesn't fail, we might be looking at, you know, panic moves. And the last thing we want to do is have panic, especially this early in the season. There's plenty of time left. Obviously, you don't really want to be giving up these points to these division rivals, for sure. But at the same time, whatever ideas they have, now is the time to try them. October hockey is is fun for that reason. That's when people are establishing. I mean, you know, we've talked about some of the teams that have surprising have had surprisingly bad starts, including Tampa. And New Jersey, for example, came up today again. And I think. There is time for things to change. You know, I think the St. Louis Blues proved last year that you can change things as late as January. I do not endorse that as a strategy. I don't think January is when you should be changing things. But at the same time, like you know, we're still talking. It's it's literally it's mid-October right now, today, you know. So it's it's not something that is worth panicking over, but I really think that, you know, in the next couple of weeks, the Habs have an opportunity to continuously try new things and see what works. And maybe, you know what, maybe Shea Weber just needs a rest. Maybe he's not fully recovered. You, know, you never know. We talked a little bit about all the things that aren't working and the specifics that sunk the game tonight. 
But at the same time, like there are a lot of positives that the Habs can draw on too. Yeah, and one of them I think is the continued good play. Obviously, we've touched about touched on Jeff Petrie, but Arturi Lekkinen continues to play really well, and it's early and he's getting chances. He had shorthanded breakaways and two on ones. And he rang the post several times in this game and came really close to knocking and stuff on the goal step. And it's, this game could look entirely different if half of the chances he had didn't deflect off the post behind Andre Vasilevsky, but instead hit the twine behind him. We could be looking at a 5-3 game, a 6-3 game, something different, but a little bit of bad luck continues to play Lekkonen, but I don't want him to change what he's doing. His line with Max Domi and then Jonathan Drouin was dropped onto their line later in the game, and they're getting chances and making things happen. And I would rather see that and some bad luck of pucks going off the post than no pucks going towards the net at all and ending up in the back of Montreal's instead. Yes, absolutely. Like, I was watching the whole second half of the game, I would say, and it was exciting for me as a Habs fan. I was at the on the edge of my seat. It kept feeling like something was going to happen, and it just never did. And there were a lot of near misses, and I think you could hear it as well at the Bell Center. It's not like Andre Vasilevsky played badly, not even, not at all. I just think that the Habs just dominated possession for so long, and there were so many chances that they were able to generate. They kept moving. Tampa could not contain them. And that's exactly it, is if Tampa's struggling to keep up because Montreal put the pressure on them early, and even after they went down two goals, Montreal was the aggressive team. And if you can put a team like Tampa back on its heels, even with the lead, you're doing things right going forward. And the forward core isn't my issue. And then people are, you know, upset that Jesperi Kotkaniemi got dropped down a line in the third period. He went out there with Nate Thompson and Jordan Wheel, and they almost scored a goal in the opening minute. And they played well after that and created their chances. It doesn't mean that I'm a fan of dropping down his minutes, but he had a rough first two periods. They put him out there so he would face lesser competition, and he bounced back immediately. If he continued to struggle from there, then we got to kind of look at what's going on. But the gambles are paying off on a lot of things. Now they just need the luck to follow. Right, and that was like, for me, that was a glaring piece of evidence that the coaches are thinking on their feet. They're thinking on the fly. They're not. They're not out of ideas. They haven't given up. And yes, like people were saying, what is going on there? Why is he down? Why is he on the fourth line? But you don't think of it as a fourth line. You have to think of it as why is he down where he's probably better suited in this particular game situation? And I think that that's something that for me, it's, it's, it's an absolute positive because you know what? Maybe all year, like he just shuffles, he goes up and down all of the lines. It doesn't matter as long as they are continuing to generate offense. Yeah, like Nick Suzuki's been on the second line. He's been on the third line. He's been on the fourth line. He's still playing in every game, and he's getting power play time, too. So it's I'm not one to always just lean in and say trust the coaches, but in this kind of situation, it seems like maybe we know what they're – they know. we should trust that they know what they're doing right now. And I'm not always crazy about it, but when it works out, it's like, okay – you have the benefit of the doubt for future moves here. Right. And I think, you know, a major criticism from the fans of Claude Julian in general is that not that he shuffles his lines or mixes things up, but fans sort of perceive it in such a way that he does it too often. He doesn't give pairings or lines a chance to gel and see what they could be. 
But when you're in the middle of a game against a division rival who's really good and you know that they're struggling right now and you want to take, you know, you want to take advantage of your, of your chance, then just throw everything, you know, throw everything but the, the kitchen sink at them and see what happens. In this case, it didn't pay off. But, you know, a couple of inches here and there, like you said, we're talking about a totally different game. It could be a 6-3 game. It could have been a 7-3 game. You know, there were so many posts and near misses. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with Julian this year, too, and something that we learned last year is he isn't waiting around for people to learn from mistakes. This team has to start winning games now and make the playoffs because their core isn't getting any younger or anything. But... They go back and practice and they work on it and those lines kind of reset. Every time that someone's gotten dropped down the lineup, they don't stay there for long. They're given a chance to earn it back or they're, you know, it's a temporary demotion. So a lot of things is in a vacuum, it might look bad, but maybe look at the broader picture and realize there's something behind this that, you know, there's a reason for it. And hopefully it's a lesson they could take going forward and use that as the motivation they need to either will those extra few goals in or something, or maybe the luck's going to change and we don't see any line changes for three or four weeks until there might be an injury or a back-to-back situation where they got to shuffle players or something. If, Like I said, if we're talking about this game where the luck's a little bit different and Montreal scores on some of those chances, no one is talking about Kotkaniemi being dropped down the lineup a little bit at all. No, but we are still talking about Shea Weber and whether or not he's struggling this year. So I think that's a that's something that we'll continue to watch and keep an eye on and probably discuss as the season goes on because we will be with you every day. And you can follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. You can find Scott at Scott Matla. You can find me at The Active Stick. You can email us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com and you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe. Please download. Please tell your friends about us. We are so happy to bring you Habs content every day and your Habs fan friends should also share in that. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time.